welcome back to Breaking Ground on iProperty Radio with myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on social media at iProperty Radio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. This week, I'm chatting to Joseph Little, head of the head of construction and building performance in the School of Architecture, Building and Environment within TU Dublin. Joseph, you're very welcome. Thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here, Carol. And um, Joseph, that's a very long title. So you're the head of construction and building performance within the School of Architecture, Building and Environment. And yes. I know that's within the Faculty of Engineering. So talk to us a little about um, not just the role that you do, but maybe about your career to date. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I graduated as an architect from uh, the School of Architecture in UCD in 1996, worked for uh, three conventional practices of different scale of buildings uh, over the next seven years realized at the end of the, the last of those companies, I was with them for four years and realized the my increasing concern about the lack of sustainability focus in Irish industry, the Irish construction industry and design practice in general, wasn't going to be met by staying in conventional practice. So I I, 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 um, I think in a, in a three month period, I took up yoga, I changed my diet, I set up a practice on my own and I started a master's in the Center for Alternative Technology in mid Wales. And that was about the only place in um, English-speaking Europe at the time that you could go to, you know, learn skills and engage and meet other people similar-minded uh, at the time. And I had a wonderful adventure there for a number of years with like-minded people. I met some extraordinary Irish people as well as mostly British, but people from around the world, um, and, and learned a lot of skills. And in that time, I started the essays I was writing. I was submitting to the um, to the the the, the 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 lecturing team, uh, I started converting into articles that appeared in Construct Ireland. I wrote about 15 articles in Construct Ireland. I kind of went beyond the, the master's period itself and kept going beyond. And then even into Passive House Plus, I was writing articles. And uh, one of the things in retrospect that I was doing was I, I began to focus more and more on retrofit, um, on building performance as a specific question. Do we know what we're doing in that area? And a series of, of papers such as uh, Breaking the Mold 1 to 5 um, were some of the first times, I think, possibly historically at this stage, that, that somebody raised the question, you know, do we know what we're doing in retrofit? Are the Agrimal certificates up to scratch? Do we have the training? Do we understand as a profession and as an industry things like thermal bridging, um, moisture risk, hydrothermal risk, uh, you know, air tightness, different strategies? How do those things come together, and um, how do we go forward? So, so that was you know actually quite quite significant. I was also writing about low carbon materials, about you know quick tips uh, for for homeowners carrying out refurbishments. Uh, there are all those articles are still available and, and I'm still teaching for using some of them. They're still relevant, possibly sadly, they're still relevant uh, now in two, 20, 2022. Um, and they can be found on the Arrow repository, the TU Dublin Arrow repository, which is a, a free resource for anyone downloading on a wide range of fronts. But if they put my name in, Joseph Little, um, they, they'll, they'll find a lot of those articles. Uh, um, so obviously, sorry, no, I went out from I, there. I, go well, on, go just, on. Joseph, I, I, before, before we move on, I just want to actually thank you for being so open about that because actually you're the first person I've spoken to out of tens of people um, uh, around the sustainability, the the need or the increasing imperative um, towards sustainability that actually talks about it in a holistic way that actually there's a we know there's a mind a mindset shift needed and you very rightly identified that it came with this increased awareness that actually was very holistic in terms of 
uh, diet, yoga, movement, and otherwise. And I think that's really interesting because I think that's absolutely the experience of people, but we don't talk about it, particularly within the industry. So Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, yeah. I, I personally, I mean, I'm, I'm very interested in the idea. I, I love history. I'm, I'm a, I suppose I'm a cultural boffin, but I'm also a technical boffin. And sometimes that can be unusual. People sometimes tend to go one way or the other. Uh, I'm very interested and I teach about actually some of the cultural underpinnings of some of the technical things that we do. You know, for instance, we, we still use a method of, of risk assessing moisture in buildings, which uh, the dew point method or nowadays called the Glazer method, which comes from uh, a, a desire, and I think this is fascinating, to keep meat, beef and lamb frozen safely from Argentina or, or Australia or New Zealand to get it onto plates uh, for the Sunday roast in London. And that concern in the 1880s is actually what drove, drove the creation of the U-value method and then even uh, the U-value calculation, which fed then into the dew point calculation method. And even though there are other better ways of assessing moisture in buildings um, and, and standards associated since 2007 and so on, um, we're still using something that comes from a different tradition and a different uh, even technical culture in, in, in the industry because it's easy and it's because what we have done and what we know. But it's not, it's not actually within scope. It's not fit for practice for most building conditions but it's what we what we've done it's what we used to and therefore we're continuing to do that so there's really big shifts and some of those are technological some of those are standard based and some of them are cultural that's so interesting actually i've never heard that before but what you're describing does not at all sound like the work of an architect a typical architect as we would know <laughs> Well, architects are very varied people. You know, there, there are perceptions um, and, you know, there's architects I would strongly criticize and there are some tendencies, you know, there's tendencies. I mean, for instance, there's tendencies in engineers to be, you could say, and this is a stereotype, to be very linear, to address a very clear problem and solve it and it alone. There's tendencies for architects to be very lateral. But actually, if you could bring an architect who's teaching, thinking laterally and, and engaging across a wide range of areas, together with an engineer who's got that focus, you've got a really good team. Uh, so I would say we all, we all have failings and we all have a, a skills and advantages. Uh, I, I would say there needs to be a more technical engagement in, in architectural, in architectural uh, education. And I think that's increasing, but maybe not increasing fast enough. Um, but I think I think we all need to be cross silo. We all, I I love talking to people who've had a, a mixed education, who've come from a range of positions, uh, and, and I think that brings a richness with it. I think being in one culture, you know, will rarely solve a problem. Will rarely address address it as well as it could be. And that's interesting. Are you seeing that across your student base at the moment? Yeah. Well, for instance, when I'm talking to the architecture students uh, in the undergraduate program here, it's one of the biggest in the state. Um, yeah, I mean, they're a very group and, and the lecturing team, I'm very glad to say, is a very group as well. And there's a range of perceptions and perspectives and some I would say are, are kind of, you know, let's say old and ones that I'd like to see shift and other people are coming from fantastic. I mean, feminist perspectives, uh, universal access perspectives, design culture, aesthetic perspectives, um, local planning, urban regeneration perspectives, uh, environment, deep environmental perspectives, you know, uh, there, there, it is a very rich cohort I'm talking to there. When I look at my uh, the MSc in building performance cohort, those students, they're professional postgraduate students coming from architecture, engineering, architectural technology, building surveying, uh, energy assessors, even applied building physics who've come across that whole perspective. Then, you know, I don't even use the names that they come from. I talk about building design professionals and we're talking about 
look, it's not, it, it, you know, your own learning journey is important, but what we need to focus on is the build, built environment and delivering high quality buildings and understanding how and why they work. So, so uh, or, or don't work. Um, so, so that's the engagement there. So it's definitely a wider uh, engagement. Um, is your focus split across um, the de delivering new buildings as in the, before, the building performance of, of newly delivered buildings and those retrofits? Yeah, um, absolutely. It, it, and, and it needs to and be. Is, it, is it an even split as in do you think these are, are kind of equal priorities they are for me uh for me building performance is is the key and and that applies to all everything in the built environment those buildings that are you know on the on, on the on the page or on the screen are being designed those buildings that are being proposed for retrofit those buildings that have been built and new those buildings that are we're looking at in terms of uh, remediation maintenance and and maybe uh, you know uh, problematic expert witness kind of territory so i'm i'm looking at the same questions and they apply everywhere uh, it's, it's much easier to do something absolutely right on a greenfield site with a new build building and with a big design team. It definitely gets harder the more we move towards smaller scale buildings, smaller design teams, smaller budgets and retrofit. Um, and to be fair, I know that you practice what you preach because you have just come through a process of deep renovation um, for a smaller building. You might talk to us about that. Yeah, well, that, that was fascinating. Um, maybe maybe a, a little bit crazy, but but a, a great adventure. So we, myself and my wife, bought a um, um, a, a, a eighteen eighty six uh, Victorian cottage, the kind of window door window kind of cottage that you'll see in in Stony Batter or you know many parts of Ireland, but, it, but not too far from that area about yeah, 40 square meters, um, mass concrete from 1886. A lot of people think that concrete only came into Ireland later than that, it, it, it didn't. However, they didn't understand fully concrete in those days. So it, it was poorly consolidated pebble-based concrete with uneven aggregate use, uh, uh, sorry, binder use. So we're actually treating it almost like a mass concrete wall, like a rubble, sorry, a rubble concrete, sorry, like a rubble stone wall, like an old solid stone wall. And, and therefore we've taken that sort of a, a, a approach in terms of our insulation strategies. Um, one thing I was very anxious to do was to deliver something that was very, very breathable. So that's often a big concern of people from let's say the heritage historic building perspective, but also something that was super low energy, which often touches on people from let's say the super low energy passive house enterfit type world and also very circular. So, um, so kind of three overlapping concerns that the breathability historic heritage bit the, the the low super low energy but then also doing you know in, introducing materials that are very low embodied carbon are in fact even post-consumer or post-construction waste materials used in a really good way to deliver a, a low carbon uh, very comfortable um, property very good well talk to us about the the process of that and um, what were you because you're talking about a very small area and actually i have never heard of mass concrete in an old cottage i actually thought i just assumed wrongly that that was all stone yeah yeah so yeah just maybe talk to us about part of the journey for there are you is it finished now it is um we well the, the painting has to be done and and the floor has to be laid that's it um it's it, in terms of the building that's there and yeah but were you able to because obviously um sometimes uh when we talk about sustainability sometimes there's the criticism that actually the ideal is not achievable so, you know, there's always going to be an element of compromise. Yes. So, you know, you sound like you were maybe starting from a place that you certainly had ideals in place. How much did you need to compromise? 
Yeah, good question. Um, there were there were quite a few compromises. I mean, like you said, the, the project is a very small project. Because of my role, because of my passion, I was very interested in an exemplary building. And my wife was very patient in that regard, because sometimes exemplary and if you're building something that 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 could show future directions of where we need to go. Therefore, you're no longer talking about the most readily available cheapest product, because clearly the cheapest product is the one which is a large volume product made by a large number of companies, you know, so so um, uh, but if you're if you're trying to show something about circularity, a higher use of a greater percentage of biomaterials, a greater percentage of post consumer post construction waste materials and a high level of circularity in terms of demountability, disassemblability, those sorts of concerns, you're clearly looking at niche products or what are currently niche products. But if we do more of this and if we, we, we can prove that it can be done and done successfully in Ireland, which I think we have proven, and that's really important and I need to disseminate that over the next few years, uh, we will encourage people into that sector. So um, that will then become you know more mainstream and, and, and in terms of pricing and so on. So in terms of compromises, I mean, one thing early on was I wanted to use, can I name commercial products by the way oh, absolutely, absolutely. okay be helpful for anybody yeah. who's taking on such a project okay well i mean well i think the first thing i should probably then say is that serious construction s-i-r-i-u-s were our builders and to be honest we went with them they were they're very good small medium-sized conventional builders i went with them because i trusted them uh, you know so to me in the way trust was more important than price i needed to know that these people were going to come with me on a journey uh so that's that um in terms of compromises we were one thing we we're going to do earlier on early on was use a uh what's called a nilan compact p uh unit it's about the size of a tall fridge freezer where you've got a cylinder integrated with a heat pump integrated with a mechanical ventilation and heat recovery unit. So all three units coming from the same manufacturer. Other companies supplied these. That was the particular one. Uh, and they're all they're, it's optimized for all those things to work together. And that would have provided our hot water, uh, possibly a source from our, you know, our, our solar panels to feed into our healthy ventilation, which is terribly important, and, 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 and so on. Uh, and it would, would have supported decarbonization of the building, which was terribly important, to move from gas to to electric um, uh so we, just, we did that can i, but can we, I we, ask you joseph just in relation to the ventilation because you're talking about such a small area you said just um under uh 40 square meters yeah. so um it's four square feet sorry four square meters four square meters sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. um just in terms of the ventilation is that more or less important when you're talking about a very small area well, I, I, in a way, I would almost say it's the most important thing, because frankly, if humans are not being looked after, um, you know, there's something absolutely wrong. If the indoor environmental quality of the space is not as good or better afterwards, um, we're doing something absolutely wrong and everything should actually stop. And the good news is that there's many, many robust systems. Uh, so what, what I'll tell you, just in terms of that compromise, and I'll, I'll, I'll segue to answer what you just said, uh, we were going to put in something that turned out to take about one square meter of space. My, my wife possibly quite rightly said, I can't give you one square meter of space for that thing, uh, albeit it's an excellent piece of technology. And also look at our budget, uh, because it, you know, it, it was an expensive project. So what we ended up doing was, because we went reached super low energy levels of performance for the walls, the floors, the roofs, the air tightness, and so on. I knew I was able to calculate that we would have a very small energy demand. And that small energy demand could be met by simple electric panel rads fixed to the wall. So we're able to decarbonize, uh, move to electric only by having, at the end of the day, small electric mounted panels uh, from, um, oh, uh, the, the Irish manufacturer whose name has just escaped me, um, 
um, it'll come back, uh, under counter uh, water heater, uh, an electric rod in the um, uh, shower room, the, a future solar panel. So we're installing, allowing for a future electric panel at this stage, which makes it easier and quicker to do in the future, but it's outside this current budget. And, um, and then in terms of the ventilation, we simply supplied DCMEV, demand control mechanical extract ventilation uh, by the company Erico, which is again, one of the companies out there, but also invented the category, AE or ECO. And, and, and that, by, by doing that mix of simple technologies, we were able to reduce budget and for a very small house, we were able to still provide a decarbonized, low energy uh, supply of hot uh, of space heating, hot water, and then separately ventilation with a very, very low, low power demand. So there's an example of a compromise, which actually we were able to turn to something that I was still very comfortable was a high quality uh, solution. And um, you talked about trust being the main factor with uh, your contractor, which is understandable, but you also refer to that contractor as a traditional contractor. So were there any issues there in terms of um, maybe delivering on some of the, yeah. the aspirations that you great, had for the home? Great, great, great question. So in that context, and obviously I do know a number of people out in the industry, um, I went to uh, a, probably Ireland's leading air tightness um, installer, uh, air tightness tapes and so on installer. Um, and, and he also specializes in the blowing of cellulose insulation, which of course is po post-consumer newspapers, shredded and, and treated and so on. A man called uh, Roman Shapura from a company called Cleoma, I think it's Cleoma House. Uh, they're based in Sligo, but he was willing to come to Dublin for me. There are other people that he would work with around and there's other people in the space, but basically because air tightness was a particular thing that needs real, real high quality skills, um, and of course, a really good guy will work, a really good person will use less material, do it faster and do it right the first time than the person who's learning in that space. So I brought, I brought Roman and his team in to work with my, with my builder, John, uh, you know, uh, serious construction um, to deliver a little bit that I felt they would find a little bit more challenging to get to a really high level, a really onerous level. They, they understood air tightness, but not quite at the level that he did. And they were very comfortable to bring him in uh, on, into the team as a, as a nominated subcontractor for that role. Uh, and, and I think that combination worked. We've achieved a Q50 value, I was told the other day, um, by Gavin O'Shea of Greenbuild, sorry, I'm mentioning lots of people here, uh, of 1.6. So 1.6 meters cubed per meter squared hour. If you consider that the standard, the minimum standard for new build is seven, 7.0, uh, and the new build is much easier to deliver, we're delivering at one point, a Q50 of 1.6. Uh, so I think that's a great achievement in a, in a retrofit building where there are compromises where things are harder to control. Uh, despite your expertise, you were dealing with an 1886 constructed cottage. Yes. What did you learn on it? Um, I, 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 well, one thing I, I learned is, is um, that you actually need a lot, you need to pay a lot of attention, um, that you need to be there frequently. And, and, you know, sometimes builders would kind of prefer if architects and, and, and homeowners stepped aside uh, and they, they obviously need to get at their work. But it was it was useful that I lived quite I lived nearby and I was able to come and come visit quite a few times. Uh, there were conversations about different parts. I mean, one particular conversation was about the roof structure. So this was it turned out to be Baltic, not surprisingly, maybe Baltic pine from, you know, obviously felled and maybe trees felled and maybe in 1885 or so. And uh, the perspective of the original engineer and the foreman on site was that, uh, you know, you want a proper house and you want a proper sign off and you want this to be fit for the next 50 years, 70 years, whatever. So replace all the timber structure in the roof. And, in, and I was 
quite thrown by this, even though I was, you know, an architect and have plenty of building experience. When somebody says that and they're people of that experience, it can it can encourage you to kind of go down to that expense that you didn't foresee and, and get rid of something. And it was really when I was standing on the scaffolding with the roofer and we're looking up close at those materials that we were both able to say, the roofer and myself, this roof is gorgeous. The timber is, you know, in mint condition. If a piece of timber is split or something or, or some little thing happened, it probably happened on the day because somebody used too hard a, a hammer stroke in 1886. Nothing has happened since. So we were able to retain which was my original ambition, but to be able to do it securely, safely, uh, once we got to that stage. And, and, and a tradesperson who comes from that particular perspective gave me great confidence. And, and then actually we had a later timber engineer, timber-focused engineer, who absolutely agreed. Um, so in fact, in, in terms of all the timbers from the building, the skirtings we had to replace because of some leakage, about a third of the floorboards we had to get rid of. Um, and we had to get rid of the fascia at the front and back of the eaves of the house. But even the wall plates from which the timber structure of the roof springs were actually in very good condition. We didn't have to splice out any of that. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, even though the, 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 the masonry wall, there were some cracks and compromises that we had to stitch and repair. Uh, we were able to keep all the masonry uh, barring a certain area where we broke through for a new kitchen and so on, uh, but all of the timber structure we were able to retain uh, of, of the roof, and that was that was a great uh, thing to be able to do. Did you encounter any issues in terms of your mortgage lending or financing or insurance? Good question. Um, we, uh, because we had brought some savings into it, and there was a little bit of a nest egg coming from my wife's side, uh, we were able to take out a mortgage, which was quite a low mortgage. And I think that helps significantly. Yeah, so, you know, it might have been a third, are, a third, a third in terms of the financing there. Yeah, no, because these are things, and particularly in terms of embracing new technologies on a self-build project, actually, yeah. that we do find people run into financing and um, uh, insurance issues. And look, I, I thank you so much for your time, by the way. I appreciate we've gone slightly over time, but I'm fascinated to hear about the personal project and, I, and it's certainly something I'd love to talk to you about another time. We can so, do, yeah, please do. Uh, my, my final question today is probably one that you address. It's probably uh, a fallacy that you address with your students on day one, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, is there a conflict between design and building performance? Design in general, or do you mean design, design for building performance? Uh, no, design as in you're an architecture, you have a vision. Um, yeah. And sometimes, you know, we see it that the division of a building, whether it's uh, the retrofit of, of uh, an 1880s cottage or whether it's the delivery of a new state-of-the-art um, glass building, uh, in terms of design, does there need to be compromise of design in order to achieve maximum or optimum building performance? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, personally, I have strong views on this. I would say a design that does not take account of building performance is failure. There are different kinds of failures. A building falls down, a wall falls down, that's a failure. But if a building does not deliver on, 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 the, on, on, on health, uh, on low energy, on uh, you know, even low carbon circularity, these, these additional areas of building performance that are being brought more and more to the fore, I, th I think it's a failure. I think we, we have a massive societal, there's a series of global crises. There's a massive societal need for building design professionals to step up and also for building professionals to step up and to work together and, and to really understand the impacts of what they're doing. And if somebody is not engaged in understanding the impacts of what they're doing, why are they there? That's so much to think about. Joseph, 
my my thanks you I, honestly i am i find that i always learn a lot during these interviews but you've given me so much more to think about and in fact sometimes it's an interesting interview that actually leaves me with more questions than answers but that's not right. a bad that's not a bad place to be so thank you so much you're very welcome well let's that talk was, again absolutely that was joseph little head of construction and building performance in the school of architect in architecture building and environment within tu dublin and that's it from us this week. You can get in touch with the show on social media at iProperty Radio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. My thanks to Hear Me Roar production team and to Luke Delaney on sound for Dublin South FM. Until next time, thank you for listening.